everyone, welcome back to Transform the Norms podcast. My name is Pleun Elza and in this podcast we're going to look for answers to some difficult questions related to transitional justice and sexual reproductive health and rights. You hear me saying we? Yes, that is right. Every episode a different guest will join me. Together we use this space to provide hands-on tools that we believe contribute to the work of humanitarian and development aid around the world. So great you're here to find out what we have to say. And today I'm talking to Sanne Thijssen. She works as an independent consultant under the name Shake the Dust. And she is the co-founder of Stories to Action, the platform dedicated to amplifying young people's voices and perspectives on sexual reproductive health and rights and the ongoing pandemic. Thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our chat. Great. We already discussed it before, but today we're going to try and provide some answers to the question of how to ensure access to sexual reproductive health and rights when emerging out of a crisis. And before we really move into it, I think it's important to identify what part of the crisis we'll be discussing today, because I just mentioned it. And um, a crisis, of course, is constructed in different phases. You have the moment leading up to a crisis. You have the start and the center of a crisis of it all taking place and you have to transition out of a crisis and then there's the society or the situation without a crisis um i think i don't know how you see it but there's no such thing as an end to a crisis like we know for example an end to a movie that just doesn't really exist you only have a transition Mm -hmm. and this specific part of a crisis that's what we're discussing today what do you think yes Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I think a lot of the time when we look at um, humanitarian situations, we only focus on the humanitarian moments, um, whereas it's also important to see how that translates in the longer term um, when we're looking more at development um, and human development overall. Exactly. And yeah, so I I think we agree on this. Uh, But what you're saying, it is important to kind of look at what is going on in the midst of a crisis to to be able to even understand the moment that we are all moving out of it or the the specific situation so maybe it is interesting Mm -hmm. to to quickly discuss what do we see and then specifically in relation to sexual reproductive health and rights uh, what do we see in times of a crisis like in the midst of it maybe we can come up with some examples or like your perspective on it Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um so just looking more at the field that i work in um which is sexual and reproductive health and rights and youth um i think oftentimes what we see in general is that topics that are more sensitive um topics that are already suffering in the broader development sector or in the human rights sector that um they usually end up even um being pushed further down the agenda Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, when we're looking at particular groups um, and you're thinking about young people and other vulnerable groups within this cohort of young people, that those also kind of fall away. And I feel like that's also the case when we're looking at the current pandemic, um, the COVID-19 pandemic. What I hear um, within my work is that, um, or what I was expecting and what, what has come out over the last year is that indeed these are the topics that will need the largest investment on the long term and these are the people that need the most support in the long term to be able to get back to some level of um, 
of basic rights. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really interesting uh, what you're saying about like long-term investment. But for example, what we could see now, like I was just looking up some numbers of what was happening. And I think that, especially in relation to sexual reproductive health and rights, that mm-hmm. um, for example, there was ex- like they expected 7 million additional unintended pregnancies uh, in the low and middle income countries in the year of two, two, 20. But that's such an immense, no- immense number for something that is not, you know, directly linked to to the um, uh, COVID-19. Uh, mm-hmm. Also access, you know, to sexual reproductive health uh, services. And, um, I think the condom supplies was lowered mm-hmm. with 50 to 60 percent. And, you know, those are just some of the examples. I don't know if you encountered some of these examples where you were like, this has, will have such a big impact. Yeah. No, I, I definitely um, I definitely see that there's a number of different areas within the broader topic of sexual and reproductive health and rights that deserve more attention Um in light of what, what's been happening over the past year and also as we look forward we'll need more attention and part of this is I think one of the things that I'm most worried about are the topics that are already having political pushback that this pandemic has been used to to utilize the current setting to push them even further back so what I'm talking about is um, the rights of LGBTI the rights on on abortion, uh, sex workers. These are different topics that are already really already in danger of being pushed back that were already being being put in this precarious situation. And then now what we're seeing is that actual governments are using them to actually assault and and um, marginalize these groups even further. And that is what I'm also, you know, outside of obviously what directly the pandemic has done. So indeed, the access to comprehensive sexuality education that's been lacking due to, you know, schools closing or what you mentioned also about like the section reproductive health and rights resources that have been lacking due to the pandemic. I think these other topics are what I'm particularly um, worried about because... Um, because I feel like this is something that will need a stronger commitment and will need a larger effort of diplomacy, of lobby and advocacy um, in order for us to to be able to get back to where we were. So yeah. I think for me personally, that is something that this pandemic um, has already created an impact on, but will continue to do so if we're looking in the next year, next two years or even the next five years. Yeah, yeah. Once again, in the long term, that impact is in, in, in like immense. And to me, that also links back to like the crisis management that we have and how that's just being abused, you know, because uh, in terms of a crisis in general, like there is there's a selection made of what health services, but also in terms of education, like all different aspects, I would say, if, uh, in terms of health and development, there's some prioritization. Yeah. And with that, what you're saying, the pushback already starts in policy for crisis management. And to me, it's just really, really worrying when you say that um, this then gets completely taken out of context and used as a tool by governments to push it even further back on a more structural level. So they take it away from a crisis management, which should be a temporary, um, 
a reaction to a situation and they start to use it for like you know changing of laws and policies yeah no but i i agree with you and i think that that's also what we're seeing also if you look at the broader gender equality agenda and um eastern european countries or you yeah. know um the discussion that has come out of this um pandemic on access to you know uh, self-care in terms of abortion can we access abortion pills remotely um those are discussions that you know we might you know have been used during this pandemic to to create a broader structure that we will not be able to to progress on on these topics on the longer term because this has been used uh to to frame some kind of a, a discourse or like a discussion about it or like a framing um on how things should be um and I think that that's quite worrying, actually. But at the same time, I mean, for me, it's also important to note that there have been some amazing initiatives also, exactly. a lot of them also youth-led initiatives. Um, so that's kind of the other side of things is that something that does give me hope is to see how young people themselves are able to kind of push back on these things. It is the young people that you see that are actually, you know, um, getting on the streets, that are actually speaking to yeah. their policymakers. Exactly. Um, because I think... It's, yeah. it's true what we're saying. There are some really uh, worrying situations taking place. Um, but mm. what you're saying is super important that it's also really amazing to realize that people are so resilient and that while all these, the, the bad side of this crisis-related um, regression, so to say, took place, there's also been amazing initiatives. And um, so that might be really interesting to quickly talk a bit why you started Stories to Action because that's basically providing a platform for this resilience to take place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, so yeah, it's true. When the pandemic started a year ago, um, as I always say, I was really, really worried about where young people's voices would land in the sense that um, I could already imagine that um, those voices would be left out in the broader discussion on how to tackle the pandemic um, and how to get out of this pandemic. Um, and so with my co-founder, um, Iris, we started Stories to Action with the idea that it would be a platform for young people to be able to share their stories, to share their perspectives, to um, show what they're doing in their own communities, but also to get access to different resources that they might need um, and to actually feel connected in a time when you are quite literally isolated from your yeah. own peers. Um, so that, that's why we started Stories to Action a year back. And actually since then, I've it's really been quite motivating to see what other young people are doing across the globe. Um, whether it's, you know, going out in their communities and sharing HIV medicine that is inaccessible in particular remote counties um, to actually, you know, being open about very um, precarious situations that they're in at home, encountering, you know, domestic violence and these kind of things. Yeah. Um, so I think that that has kind of also, on a more personal note, helped me get through the the pandemic. It's just yeah. reading and seeing what other people are doing, um, and that gives hope to an extent that you know um, that that we can actually uh, collectively, you know, if if we acknowledge these voices, if we acknowledge these perspectives, that there is actually a way to kind of get out of the the pandemic um learning from these stories or what they exactly. mean to different people 
yeah. it's kind of also a forward-looking perspective onto onto dealing um, with a crisis, right? Because I think what I hear you saying is is beautiful because you provide a space for to share um, for for the people to share their perspectives and to share their initiatives. I think it, w- mm-hmm. it would really what you say is helpful for other people to read it, to get inspired, to stay motivated, and have a sense of hope. And I think then even together, all these stories combined, it has like an additional power of uh, of it being such, um, not just a singular, but like a multi, I don't know, initiative, uh, resilience yeah. movement, I would say, you know, and that's just something so much so powerful mm-hmm. for that by, by just providing a space for, for those individuals or small scale or uh, initiatives to take place. I think that's, um, it's just really positive. Yeah. I'm really curious to hear a bit more about your, your perspective on the youth participation in terms of moving out of out of a crisis. So this transition period, because I think what you're saying is really already uh, powerful in terms of providing a space for young people to share what they have already been doing, you know, uh, maybe on a more grassroots mm-hmm. level. I'm just really curious how you think how that could be actually implemented more in in the mechanisms created moving out of a crisis do you have any ideas on that yeah yeah i think what i personally see is that in terms of you know youth participation this crisis has had kind of two sides right it's helped young people that you know engage in global processes that would usually take place in a un building or somewhere that they can access uh, the opportunity to to engage remotely that we have to also look at the spaces that we have and see how can we get more perspectives into the room even though we can't actually get young people to attend uh, particular events um, and try and find innovative ways to do so but then I think the second part of of this pandemic has been that while there this has opened up opportunities for young people to engage remotely it has also excluded a lot of young people um, you know, not everybody has access to internet, um, and those that didn't uh, have even fallen back more because they cannot engage in dialogues that take place that would otherwise take place in physical settings um, within their own communities, within their own, you know, uh, provinces, countries, etc. So, the way I see it, that's also something that we can learn from uh, is also looking at, you know even though we want to engage people more remotely, how to make those spaces, those opportunities equal for everyone. And also, I think overarching both points is that in general, there is a big need to acknowledge that young people are here for different reasons. Young people are diverse. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we also organize differently than other organ- than other formal institutions. Uh, we have movements. We have, uh, you know, informal structures. Uh, yeah. And these or horizontal. These structures. are usually what. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I think that yeah. that's something that some organizations aren't ready to acknowledge yet. And so I think true. that that's something we can learn from. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so true. And that's actually for me also personal frustration, you know, and, and I think I agree mm-hmm. with you a lot, like partially it's about uh, that young people should be given the opportunity of the spaces and the structures that already are there. And I think that's true mm-hmm. because it's such an immense structure and there's so many power and, and possibility within, 
you know, let's say the UN or the EU structure, or maybe even in your national yeah. um, political um, environment, you know, there's so many space that could be given uh, to young people, mm-hmm. like to take up that space. But at the same time, uh, it's maybe a bit of a contradiction because that also the whole idea of like, we should be given the space. Um, mm-hmm. We as young people also frustrates me um, yeah. because that what you which is basically what you say like about making that equal it, per definition it's not mm-hmm. in my opinion yeah because then you're giving something by someone else which means i don't have the access to do it myself um yeah but you know it's okay yeah. because that's the situation we live in we work in and i think what you're saying the acknowledgement of the valuable the value of of young people's perspectives young people's skills and tools and network Mm -hmm. and that is so not normal yet and i think it's so important what you're saying uh, because it often remains as seen as something grassroots or initiative or a movement are such powerful tools but the connotation that is Mm -hmm. is hung up on that is just um not necessarily seen as something professional or like an actual tool like a structural long-term change that we are talking about all the time already yeah yeah so yeah well that's maybe it's more of a frustration than a solution or anything um well i think if i can just jump in i think what we're talking about now we've had this this whole discussion has always been about why is youth participation important at least what i've seen over the past years was when i started my journey as a sexual reproductive health and rights advocate, I noticed that that was the main point, right? Why is it important? And that that policymakers really want to know why why is it important? But I think that slowly we're now shifting into acknowledgement that it is important by policymakers, by NGOs, you know, um, INGOs. Now we're shifting to the point where the question is, well, okay, so it's important. How do we do it? Like, how does that look like yeah. meaningful youth participation how exactly. does that look like to really engage young people um, yeah. and i and think maybe, that we're struggling with that i think yeah. so you and maybe that's actually an interesting point for us to to try and answer that question and uh, because you know this last um, mm-hmm. this this talk we've been moving through crisis end of crisis uh political pushbacks uh, sexual reproductive health and rights but also health services more general and like in the end we talked about youth participation so if we try to answer the final question like how to ensure access to sexual reproductive health and rights when emerging out of a crisis and maybe let's add to that like from a youth participatory uh, angle you know what what can we do and i think one you already said like the acknowledgement of young people and the power that they already have mm-hmm. and the tools so it's not yeah. they don't need to be taken in and taught how to do it actually i think it is already mm-hmm. out there and it needs to just be acknowledged as the full and whole as it already is yeah yeah i i completely agree that's then i'm just yeah let's let's try and make it a bit more uh, specific how yeah. can we maybe provide some some tools or some tricks for those people like who actually get get these means to develop let's say a project this can be 
a project related to um, creating new health facilities or creating safe mm-hmm. spaces for people to share um, their experience with gender-based violence as a consequence of the crisis. Maybe, you know, like those really crisis-related yeah. Uh, projects that at the end of a crisis might start to be developed by such big uh, structures how can we then yeah provide some tools maybe some reflective questions um that will increase this youth participation yeah no i think that's a really good question um and just very practically like at a very very practical level i would say it starts with maybe well not maybe i think it starts with actually having young people within your organization that are paid and fully acknowledged at all levels and with all levels i'm talking about in your boards or in the program management you know level i think once you have that or once you have the structural integration of young people and then a diversity of young people, so not being tokenistic and having, you know, one or two select young people that you can, like, discuss things no, with. No, no, like, really structural. Um, but that speak for a broad group. Yeah. yeah. I speak for a broad group. I think that, that, that that's definitely something that I think every organization across the board needs to start reflecting on, is if you work for young people, how are you working with them? And where are you working yeah. with them? And that's maybe one of the the reflective questions that I'd like to kind of um, raise, I guess, as a starting point. Um, Yeah, yeah, so truly including people within the organizational structure, so to say, of of the parties that will be designing such projects or frameworks. I think that's already a really concrete um, answer, you know, so it's, yeah. yeah. So that's what you're saying, like working with people within the organization, but also working with the people you'll be designing the project for yeah exactly i think that that's very important and i think it's also very important to you know um look at how you speak about the people that like your like la- the way you use language look at the structures that you're you're working with look at you know um the power dynamics within your organizations i mean those are all questions that come thereafter but i do think it's important to know like who are you working for and how are you engaging them in that yeah. sense yeah yeah all right great i think we have a lot of information um yes. so i'm gonna try and you know list it so we get as concrete as mm-hmm. possible because that's the goal of this podcast um that yeah. in provide like how to ensure access to sexual reproductive health and rights when emerging out of a crisis from a youth uh, participatory perspective um for a person working in a big organization or governmental institution check yourself what power do you have and how can you use this to actually collaborate with people instead of designing something for people um mm-hmm. right to yeah maybe more broadly for anyone who is no longer classified as youth um acknowledge mm-hmm. accept and appreciate like the amazing power perspectives and skills that the like young people and movements already have and the movement that they structural development and change that they have already set in motion because it can only develop for the better and that's just what you need when emerging out of a crisis yeah and did i miss something 
No, I think I think these are two key points. And I think maybe the third point kind of linking to what we first said at the beginning is also, you know, start thinking about how we're, how to get out of the crisis when you're in the crisis and yeah. um, acknowledging yeah, the points. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah I think that so that's maybe just, the third yeah. point just said. Exactly, this mix of crisis uh, management and, uh, and forward-looking perspective, which is really crucial when thinking on a long-term um, impact of a crisis and uh, how mm -hmm. to minimize and make sure you're in time with dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Amazing. <laughs> um, but this is as, as concrete as we can get, I think. And I think it was amazing for you to share your perspective and your your story on stories to action. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> thanks so much for sharing. Um, yeah, no, where can people find more information on stories to action? Yes, so you can find us at um, stories to action.com. Um, and we're also on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, actually, all the socials. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere, really. <laughs> Well, no, that's great. Make sure uh, for people listening, make sure to check it out if you feel um, like it might serve you uh, or if you want to find out more. Um, you can always also always reach out to me through my website, transformthenorm.co um, or listen to my other episodes, um, podcast episodes on Spotify. Uh, Sonne, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It was great, great. speaking with you. Great, thank you.